And I'm Johnny Brecher. And welcome to the 79th episode of the Even Little Things podcast. Yes. Today we'll be discussing some true crime stories. Before we start, we just want to remind everyone that we're not professionals in any field and that this podcast is just talk about the big and even the little things teens go through. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to our podcast. Um, We're so excited to be here today because we're doing part three of one of our favorite series on the podcast. Um, So, you know, our podcast is usually like like lifestyle, advice, um, books, but sometimes we do true crime because that's actually like um, the podcast that Duani and I started listening to and kind of inspired us to even start a podcast. So sometimes we do a few true crime episodes and today we decided to bring it back for part three. And so we're really excited to be talking about the cases. Well, not excited. It's pretty morbid, but you know, we're excited to discuss these cases and talk about it and bring some light on some cases that you may not have heard of if you're into that. Um, I do want to like put out a little like trigger warning. Like some of these cases probably could be um, really triggering for some people. So if you're like not that type of person, you don't like hearing about, you know, um, crime and like murder and like things like that, I would probably stick away from this episode. But if you enjoy that or you you like learning about that kind of stuff, then stick around. Before we get into that, um, I think it's perfect time to get into our ramble. So Duani, like what have you been up to? Honestly, like not too many things. Um, I like I've been taking summer classes to like get ahead and just like finish them off because like it's the same as like taking a course during like a quarter, but it's like so much quicker and you like earn the same amount of credits. So I'm almost finished with that next week. And then um, the job that I've been working at since like last November, I think it's been like nine months. Next week is like my last week. And um, I'm kind of excited to quit because honestly, I really don't like working there anymore. It's just not fun. So um, yeah, so I'm going to quit that. But then I had like a job interview yesterday at like this restaurant that like I love going to. And like my family, like we go there at least like three or four times a year. Um, I went there yesterday and the uh, manager was like so nice. And then um, I also got the job too. It's like, I'm going to start working in September. Congrats. Thank you. And then, um, and the last thing is, we're going to go to Mexico next week because we haven't been anywhere in three years. So we're like, let's just go on like a little vacation. And I mean, things are like, again, like getting really bad at like monkeypox and stuff like that. So we're like, let's just go on it now before it gets any worse. So I'm really excited for that. What about you? Yeah, so I'm really excited that you got your job. I have not been able to follow up with you about <laughs> that because this, this like, okay, just a couple of days ago, I don't know why, but I'm having a lot of like, I don't know how to like describe this, like malaise or something like that. Like, I just feel really like, I just felt like really sick. Like, I think it's kind of like, I think the best way I can describe it is like maybe like IBS or something like that. But I also have like a lot of anxiety about getting sick and being sick. And so I think I just like keep panicking about it and I, I make it worse. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced like being sick and then being like, oh my gosh, like I do not want to be sick. I don't want to feel this way. Blah, blah, blah. And then you just like start panicking about it and having anxiety. I don't know if it's just me, but I am definitely one of those like anxiety sick people too. So I just been feeling really sick and like nauseous and not that great the past couple of days but I've been like doing what they call like the brat like 
um, you know, like where you just eat like saltine crackers and like soup and like bananas and stuff like that. I've been doing that for the past, like, uh, like just today. And I feel like a lot better. So I think I'll probably do that again tomorrow and then see if I feel like hundred percent better because I don't know, like I've always had kind of like, um, like weird stomach digestive issues like I'm kind of like lactose intolerant and things like that so I do know that like that kind of stuff upsets my stomach and but I don't know I just feel like I've been like really on the go this summer and kind of overdoing it maybe and I think maybe that's why I've like triggered this like stomach issue and I just hope that it gets better and it's not like an underlying issue because um I I think a part of my panic is I do not want to feel this way because I am moving to college in like 11 days, um, which is like super, it's, it's coming around the corner. It really is. It's coming around the corner. And um, I don't know. I just feel like I want to get better and I feel like sick and I don't want to feel that way anymore. And it kind of, I don't know. The other day I had like a breakdown and I was like, what if this is like forever? Like, what if I'm just sick forever? But I, I know that's not true. I, I don't know. I just been feeling super weird. And I, I feel like a, like a loss of like motivation, a loss of like um, appetite, like a loss of even like doing things, like even like plans that I made, like, like obviously I couldn't go because I, I don't feel well, but like even thinking about like doing that thing, like made me feel sick. Like, I don't know, like I was supposed to have lunch with these um, two friends from like high school like uh, a couple days ago but I had to cancel like 30 minutes before because I felt really really sick and I felt panicked and like even thinking about like sitting at like lunch like at the restaurant like made me feel so sick for some reason so I don't really know what's going on I'm trying to figure it out I'm I feel like better today like I don't feel as like bad so like maybe if I like keep up this like really plain diet for a couple days and like just relax I'll feel better and then like maybe avoid things I know that will like trigger my stomach I think I'm feel okay but yeah that's just been what's up with me and yeah on top of that I am moving to college in a couple of days so woo yay I can't believe it's like almost August like I know me and Hannah were like talking about like oh what are we doing um college like a podcast and stuff and like that's coming up in like a few weeks and it's so crazy I know we're gonna have to come up with like a, a good schedule because I have <laughs> I don't know why my school we have like so many classes to I'm taking 18 credits I feel like that's a lot of <laughs> like it's a lot of credits and so we're gonna have to come up with a really good schedule for this podcast we're not giving up you guys and hopefully I don't have like a chronic illness <laughs> or something <laughs> I don't know but anyways um Duani, do you want to like go first with your true crime story or do you want me to I can go first. All right, perfect. So the first one that I'm going to be talking about is um, Dennis Rader, and he's also known as like the BTK killer because he bound, tortured, and kills his victims. So therefore, he is known as the BTK killer. Um, Rader was raised in Vichita, Kansas, and then, um, you know, police found out that as a youth he killed animals and developed violent sexual fantasies and things like that and a lot of times um serial serial killers start out with like killing animals in their youth um and stuff like that and after that in the 1960s he served in the U.S. Air Force and then in 1970 he came back to Kansas where he married and had two children um he worked various jobs such as factory worker, maker of camping equipment, 
um, and et cetera. And then in 1979, he graduated from Michigan State University where he studied criminal justice. And during, during this time, he started working for ADT, which is a home security company. And in 1991, he became a compliance officer in Park City, Kansas. And throughout this whole time, he was active in his church and he served as a Boy Scouts leader um, and was active in his children's lives. Um, on January 15, 1974, Rader committed his first murders, which included strangling four family members, including two children in their home. Um, and the mother had worked for Pullman, which is like the, the camping equipment. Like if you guys have ever gone camping, like there's Coleman, like tents and stuff like that. And so the mom had worked for that Coleman company, just as he did. Um, there was like semen found at the scene, but neither of the victims had been sexually assaulted. And um, he took a watch from the home and he would often acquire souvenirs, such as um, underwear from his victims. And then in April, 1974, just a few months later, he targeted a 21 year old woman who was also another Coleman employee. And then after breaking into her house, he encountered her brother who managed to escape despite being shot. And then he fatally stabbed the woman before fleeing. And then later that same year, he wrote a letter detailing the January murders and saying that the code for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. And then he left that note at the Vichita Public Library, which would eventually be recovered by the police. Over the next two decades, Raider killed five more women and his sixth victim was strangled in March, 1977 after he locked her three young children in the bathroom. Then following the death of his next victim in December, 1977, Raider grew irritated by the lack of media coverage. Therefore, to invite more media coverage, he, he wrote a letter to the local TV station. And in that letter, he wrote, how many people do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention? His idea worked and the media went into a frenzy and the citizens were all panicking. And even though he did um, try to get more media coverage, he waited eight more years before murdering a neighbor in her home in 1985. And he later took her body to the church she used to go to where he photographed her in bondage. Later, a 20-year-old mother of two was killed in 1986, and in 1991, Raider committed his last murder, which included strangling a 62-year-old woman in her secluded home. The cases subsequently went cold. In 2004, on the 30th anniversary of Raider's first murders, a local paper ran a feature in it, which is speculated that the killer had either died or been imprisoned. Raider responded by sending various evidence from his ninth murder, notably a copy of the victim's driver's license, as well as a photograph of her body to a reporter. For the next year, he sent packages to the media or simply left items around Vichita. He often used cereal boxes, possibly a reference to serial killer to hold drawings, crime souvenirs, including photographs, written descriptions of the murders, and even dolls posed to mimic the various deaths. In January 2005, police received a break after recovering a cereal box that included a note in which Raider asked police whether they wanted to be able to trace a floppy disk he wanted to send them. Through a classified ad, law enforcement officials indicated that it would be safe. He then sent them a disk, which the police quickly traced to his church where he served as the president of the congregation. 
Bader's DNA was then matched to the semen found at the first crime scene. He was arrested in February 2005, and he soon confessed to the crimes and expressed shock that the police had lied to him. In June, Bader pled guilty, and two months later, he was sentenced to 10 consecutive life terms. And if I'm not mistaken, he is still alive and still serving those um, sentences. And right now, I think he's like 77 years old and in prison. Oh my gosh, that is quite the story. <laughs> That's very gruesome and kind of scary. And I don't know, like, I've definitely heard of this case before. And um, I don't know, whenever I, I like read or hear things like that, I'm always like really scared because, um, you know, that um, Duani and I, I'm talking about, you know, to you guys in the podcast, but we love like, um, you know, we like horror movies and things like that. But honestly, that kind of stuff doesn't really scare us. Like the other week we went to go see Black Phone, the Ethan Hawke movie. And we were, we were like, that I think scared us more than we went to go when we went like when we saw like this other stupid movie on like Netflix because um it was like about kidnapping and like that I feel like I'm more scared of like that because it could like actually happen to me than like some like paranormal activity kind of stuff you know what I mean it's like whenever I hear things like this I'm always so scared because I'm like what if one day like someone just did that to me like someone just like kidnapped me or whatever and I feel like I don't know I'm like do I have like the will to survive? Like, I don't know. It's just definitely very scary. And like, you never know and you can't trust people. And like, as, especially like as a woman, I feel like it's really hard because there's always so much like, this is like fear. Like, you know, like if I go for a walk, like I can't put in like my headphones to like full volume or like all the way. Cause I'm afraid that someone's going to like follow me and I won't know and things like that. And like, I'm going to college, right? So I have to buy like pepper spray and like protective measures. So people don't like come and like harm me in the middle of the night when walking to my dorm after my 6 PM class, you know? So it's definitely very scary. And, you know, it's definitely important to like have those safety precautions, but it's also kind of sad. Um, and not just for like women, for like everybody that we have to have these safety precautions because we can't trust other people and people have like sick desires and things like that that they want to like fulfill. It just, it's just so awful. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely, I feel for those victims and I'm, I'm, I'm really like sad that, that, that even happened. Um, and so my case is, um, it was actually happened pretty fairly recently. It's the murder of Alexa Sharkey. And I don't know if you guys have um, heard of her or anything about this case, but Alexa Sharkey, um, she was kind of like an influencer. And um, that's why some of this case kind of blew up because she was kind of a little bit TikTok famous. Um, but before we go into that, I'll just give like a little background about her. So Alexa Sharkey was born in Pennsylvania and she grew up, she was really smart. She was in the honor society in her high school. She had a lot of drive and she later just after high school, um, she went to the University of Pittsburgh and she graduated summa cum laude in 2016. And she was in like the top 2% um, her entire college career. And she majored in biology, minoring in nutrition and psychology. So she was one smart cookie. She was very smart, very driven. And she was thinking about going to medical school, but she decided that she worked hard all of her um, life up until her like little uh, up until her, what's the word for it, early 20s. So she decided to kind of take a break and um, she began to work at this um, restaurant called uh, 
Twin Peaks, I believe, or something like that. And if you've never heard of it, I think it's like more of like a local chain, but it's kind of like a Hooters. And if you don't know what like Hooters is, it's it's like a restaurant chain known for like um, specifically like women. They like have like women waitresses and they dress in like um, like some they dress in like outfits like I'm not trying to look shape anyone or anything but like they dress in like um pretty like low-cut outfits and things like that and that's like it's kind of like a wild a buffalo wild wings except all the waitresses are like female and they dress in like pretty low-cut outfits and I'm not trying to shame anyone that's just like the description of the restaurant so she worked at one of those places um for a little bit and that's where she met her future husband um Tom Sharkey and at this time she had like a ex-fiance and um I'm pretty sure like she was in a really bad relationship and she just broke that off so she was really upset and she began and Tom Sharkey her future husband began coming to this restaurant and they developed like a little bit of a relationship and a co-worker noticed and she gave him Tom's number and they started talking and Tom is actually quite a bit older than Alexis I think he was about maybe um 10 to 15 years older than her maybe even possibly more he was he was divorced um and he already had two older children and so he was older than her and he had a lot of life experience and he traveled a lot which she really liked and I think that's kind of why she was really driven to him I guess and um so yeah they began a relationship and right around this time um that's when she decided to join a MLM named Monet I think that's how you say it I'm not really sure and if you don't know what MLM it's like a multi-level marketing um, company and basically it's kind of like a scam and basically how those um, companies work is that they have like um, people try to sell like other people the product of course but also like try to get other people involved and the more people you have like working under you and like recruit that you recruited um the more money you'll make. So the higher up in the company you are, the more money you'll make, but the lower you are, the more likely you will like lose money. And a good example of an MLM that a lot of people might've heard of is like LuLaRoe. Um, and so MLMs are a little bit of like a shady business, but I'm not shaming anybody for being an MLM. I know a lot of people who are an MLM, but I know a lot of people have heard of it. It's like the boss babe thing kind of thing. So she started doing that. And a lot of um, people who do MLMs, they join like social media, like Instagram, and they try to be... Um, like content creators so they can like push more people to join their brand and so that they can become higher up in the company and things like that and so she Alexis became a influencer but she didn't really like calling herself an influencer she liked calling herself like a mentor um and she was definitely like trying to sell this lifestyle um that that you could have if you join this MLM Monet and so she was like you know racking up the followers I think she had 20,000 followers on Instagram which is a lot and you know around quarantine time that's when she decided to join TikTok and she gained a lot of followers on there and so um yeah so that's kind of like the background there and Alexis and Tom moved to Colorado for about four months in 2019 but they decided that you know while they loved it there they really wanted to go back home to Houston so they moved back to Houston around January 2020 and that's when they um got married about a month before her murder Alexis went on a trip um with a couple of friends and um those friends claimed that she was clearly afraid of somebody and worried about her safety and um yeah police 
they they don't really know it was it's kind of like a like an ongoing story they're not really sure about like who she was really talking about and things like that so um she had a really tight um tight-knit group of friends and um she would like always document everything and they had a group chat and so um Alexis was one of those people who would like always text in the group chat and like be one of the first texters so like if like when she went um missing for a few hours like it was definitely really concerning for her friends because they were like why isn't she um talking to us because obviously it's normal like for people to be like off their phones or something like that but Alexis was really into this social media life she always replied to her friends it was really unlike her for her not to um be on Instagram be texting people and things like that and um so yeah um her last Instagram post was November 2020 22 2020 and this is when she was in Mexico with her friends and her husband was not on that trip and then the last time she spoke to her mother was on November 25th and they're discussing plans for her Christmas holiday because apparently she hadn't been around family in a long time ever since she started dating Tom and married him. It was harder and harder for her to go back with her family. And so um, on the morning of number 26, which was actually Thanksgiving 2020, Alexis and Tom shared a meal and Alexis later spent the night um, with her friends and they made plans to watch a movie and play games. Um, and then on the evening of Friday, November 27th, Alex- Alexis was last seen. Tom reported last hearing her around 6 p.m. And he reported that he they had not fought, but he had told her not to drive under the influence. And she apparently left regardless. So friends were worried about Alexis after she stopped responding to messages and calls and stating later that she was usually inseparable from her phone, as I stated earlier. And on Saturday, Tom called family members, including Alexis's mother, to report her missing. And then Tom thanked Instagram followers for their help in the investigation while condemning others who said negative things about Alexis's disappearance. He also stated that he had been assisting the deputies and making phone calls to help in the search. And days following her disappearance, Tom also began to receive death threats and other hateful messages. So, you know, obviously, when a spouse goes missing, it's really easy for the media to blame like the husband because it does look really sketchy um and it is and you know it was a little sketchy because you know tom wasn't like some frail guy like he is he's like like a big like if you go look at pictures of him like online after like you listen to this episode he was like over six foot he was definitely like a bodybuilder type of body like he definitely looks like you know he is capable of you know committing the crime so people obviously thought he was guilty and at around 8 a.m on saturday a houston public works employee unfortunately found alexis's uh naked body in some bushes and so yeah the so although there was no visible injuries or immediate signs of flower foul play, the police did not suspect natural causes. The body had been believed to be left overnight and had not been yet connected to Alexis's disappearance. Um, but according to the lead homiciding detective on the case, um, there is no evidence that she walked down that road, nor had there been any attempt to conceal her body. So she was basically left in the open. And this was about a couple miles from her and Tom's house. So eventually Tom um, identified the body as Alexis's and it just began to become a homicide. And so, you know, the media began to circus around this and Tom was later interviewed by a local news station, ABC 13, in a six minute phone call. And it was kind of 
it was kind of like shaky. Like it was just like the interviewer later said that he was kind of like a little dodgy and he claimed that Alexis was not as happy as she was portraying on social media and that he had been struggling emotionally since their their disappearance but that their marriage was happy and he had been cooperating with detectives in the case and then apparently um he ended the conversation by saying I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm not a jerk I'm just destroyed so he's obviously really torn up about this and so people have really been speculating like whether he was like involved in her case or if you know, like he was just really upset that his wife is gone and both could be the case. Um, and after two weeks after the murder, Tom decided to leave Texas, which is pretty weird. I would say like, I feel like if your wife was just murdered, you don't really want to like leave the state. And then he soon failed to cooperate or take any um, actions regarding Alexis's funeral plans. And he was swapped out out of out as her next of kin and a private funeral was held on December 19th with only close family and friends and kept secret from Tom um and on January 19 2021 um the Harris County Institute of Forensic Science announced that Alexis autopsy autopsy has concluded that her death was caused by strangulation so she was obviously strangled and murdered and then um after many attempts to make contact Tom agreed to meet with the police in August 2021 to collect a DNA sample but police were unable to reach him when they did visit on September 29 2021 police finally obtained an arrest warrant for Tom with enough probable Pablo calls stating that he was the only person with the means, motive, and opportunity to have committed the murder. And on October 5th at 10 p.m., the United States Marshal Service learned about Tom's whereabouts, and they served the warrant for his arrest around 1 a.m. the next day in, in Florida. He had been staying with her da- his daughter and her boyfriend, who came to the door when the marshals knocked. When he learned that the marshals were there to arrest him, Tom ran upstairs to the closet and committed suicide. And so the family did not know about the warrant before the marshal's visit, and there's no confrontation between Tom and the authorities. Um, during the press conference, authorities said that Tom was untruthful and evasive during the entire investigation, and they established a clear history of domestic violence between the two, stating that he, that the relationship was ending in talks of divorce, and Tom did not want to end the relationship, and no other people were suspected in the case. So um, from like what, like basically to summarize this all, um, Tom um, while it was never like confirmed, the police have a lot of evidence that Tom was actually the one that killed Alexis, mostly because Alexis was, um, you know, as before she stated to her friends that she was really afraid of her life. And, you know, even though she put all this like wonderful stuff about their relationship on social media, that was not necessarily true. And behind closed doors, it was found with a lot of evidence that they had a very tumultuous relationship. And, um, you know, she was being friends with other people, seeing other people, and um, trying to kind of distance herself from Tom. And I think that she, a lot of people speculate that she told Tom around like Thanksgiving time that she wanted a divorce, maybe. And that is probably maybe why he um, murdered her. And so yeah, um, it's, it's been, um, it's kind of like a kind of close, even though Tom committed suicide and there would never be like a court trial or anything like that. It's kind of been confirmed that Tom did murder Alexis and yeah, it's really unfortunate. And, um, that this will never, you know, that her family kind of has to 
live with this outcome and that she died so early she had like a bright future ahead of her like of course like she was like top two percent of her class like she was like even though she was like in an MLM like she was obviously doing a really good job like she loved her life um loved her friends loved her family and it's just really unfortunate that she died in this way that is so sad she she was like so intelligent and smart and to like just have her life taken away is just it's such a sad thing and then also like this like worries me so much and like I think because I've read like a lot of true crime like watched a lot of true crime stories I'm just like paranoid about like every little thing like I'm scared to like get married because like what if my husband did something like that what if that happened to me like because you never know because you think that one person is something like oh they're like this whatever but then you get like married and then like you never know because like all these women that get murdered by their husband or like husbands that get murdered by, by their wives like I don't think like they knew that they were like capable of this kind of thing and so that's like really really frightening honestly yeah it is on like I totally agree with you it's just like it's scary and you never I mean a lot of people in relationships change and sometimes you don't like um see it coming especially like in instances of like obviously like I didn't really like touch on it too much but like there was obviously like a history of like um domestic abuse and like violence in the house so you know on average it takes a woman who is being like abused or like a partner who is being abused seven times to leave before they actually do leave so in a lot of cases like this it takes like a lot of courage and um help to get out of situations like these like domestic abuse situations because sometimes the victim doesn't even know that they're being abused and once they recognize those patterns it takes them a while to leave because um manipulation runs so deep and people have control of other people and it's just really scary so yeah, it's definitely so scary. I agree. Okay. All right. The reason why we're laughing right now is because um, Adwani and I record on like Zoom um, because we don't record these episodes together and it's easier for us anyways, like especially when I'm going to be like a state away, um, not state away, states <laughs> away in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, so we record on Zoom, but um, to record on Zoom, we need to, um, you know, press the record button and <laughs> Zoom, like the reason why we like stopped our Zoom session and did another one is because Zoom has like a time limit now for like free users. So we just like start another Zoom when we want to like reuse the time limit. And so we got into our new Zoom and Duani fully did, like she fully did, like she did this really interesting, like really scary case, but we forgot to press the record button. So instead of re-recording all of that, because it is pretty late at night and, you know, um, we are we are human. We're not going to do that. We're just going to end the episode. And we're sorry that there's only two cases in here, but hopefully you enjoy that episode and you stay safe with your surroundings. And it's actually kind of sad. I've, I kind of feel sad because the last five minutes we were talking about like, um, like, that like like have you never seen like unsolved mysteries like how like in the 80s and 90s how they would like play those unsolved mysteries tv shows and like they'd be like if you have any information about this case like call us and then they like at the end of the like, case update like the neighbors found out that this was like the people who committed this crime were like their neighbors and then we were talking about how crazy it would be if like we were sitting on the couch and like we watched this like unsolved mystery episode and like the, we found out like oh that person looks familiar like the person committing that crime is like Betty from next door you know like and we're talking about that how crazy that was but 
you'll never get to hear it because <laughs> we didn't <laughs> we didn't press record and that's okay but anyways if you enjoy this episode make sure you go to follow us on instagram and um rate us on spotify and apple um podcast we really appreciate your support over the last few years and actually it has been two years i think our two-year anniversary recently came up a couple days ago so i'm really excited about that and i can't believe we're doing this podcast for like two years it's really been like an integral part of our lives and i'm really glad that we did it and we're still doing it and yeah yeah and i hope we get to continue in college and i mean i don't know how long it's gonna last but hopefully as long as we can keep it going but um anyway our podcast is dedicated to sharing advice mistakes confessionals and giving you peace of mind on all things impacting teens today because it's not just you about you know things it's us too we hope you'll join us Next time. Bye.